You're listening to Red Nation Online. Is there any stopping Sebastian Juvenko? Is there any stopping Toronto FC? Juvenko's second of the game. Wednesday, August 30th, it's Prospect 11's and EMB Sports' Aaron Nielsen, Jaime and Clark, and with an international break ahead, better late than never as we celebrate TFC and another emphatic away win, last weekend's 3-1 result over Montreal. It's a bit of a different format as we don't run through the match, but have a more overarching discussion on the state of the team in relation to top sides in MLS history. We do look at recent key players from Hazler and Delgado to Bono, Josie, and Jovinko. But of course, we look ahead. Games on the horizon, as well as the playoffs and Supporter Shield race. It's all that and more on the next 40 minutes on East Side Stand Up. All right, well, obviously, we're not back from the game, we're not back from anywhere. Uh, as the listener will have known at this point, uh, we're a couple of days behind uh, on doing this East Side stand up just because it was kind of the same situation as the last one that I did where I was uh, going flying solo and so many people, um, I think now that the summer's winding down and this is last weeks of August, have other priorities or other commitments that they've sort of been penciled in on. So we're doing this one a couple of days, but then I also thought it wasn't, it wasn't a bad fit just because we're ahead of an international break. And this episode will be maybe a little bit different in the sense that maybe we won't go through the Montreal game like minute by minute like we would have. Um, but maybe because it's a break and we have that next game against San Jose in two weeks, that we can kind of look at where we're at right now and sort of discuss what's been going on like through the month of August. Um, you know, generally what we thought of the Montreal game and the Philadelphia game uh, and what we have ahead. And I think I kind of wanted to start off, Aaron, kicking it over to you oh you know and i would put the disclaimer to the listener that we just offline we're having a quick discussion about this is a skype podcast and uh there may be some connectivity issues so if you if you lose some train of thoughts on this recording and whatnot uh, apologies in advance um, but we're doing the best we can to get this all uh set up and out the last time i think we were on aaron if i'm not mistaken was the home game against dc and I thought it'd be funny to kind of like, I think you brought a point up on that podcast, how it was interesting, how there really hasn't been many opportunities where Toronto has like really demolished an opponent. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was something. And it's sort of like since that game, especially like once uh, July rolled around, wow, that things have kind of changed. And I wanted to get your yeah. opinion on sort of like where this team has come, I guess, almost in about two months since we've like you and I have last spoke at least on a podcast together. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, well, it's been exciting for, uh, TFC fans and to watch them. Um, it's interesting because I wrote a preview to start the season and I did say, I thought Toronto was the best team, um, in the league this year. But the interesting thing is, is that, you know, just like you're sometimes hesitant due to your history with Toronto FC, I'm hesitant due to my history with MLS. And I don't really see a team, like a super team, a team sort of taking off and, you know, winning every game. 
And the these two games are examples of that because Wednesday was a sort of midweek game. It was at home, so I did expect a victory there. But after, um, you know, Chicago sort of stunk the bed and uh, New York City FC has not been that great. So it's almost, you know, I don't know what the magic number is, but it's almost like Toronto's clinched East right now. So it's, you know, you don't need to get these wins for points. So you would almost assume, knowing MLS history, that these teams would kind of <laughs> allow the home team to win or take the brakes or put the brakes on a bit. Uh, but Toronto's steamrolling, man. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's like watching, um, you know, a Manchester United or Chelsea from England or something like that. It's not MLS-esque, I guess. Well, yeah, and you know what? I, I think it was it was the last podcast I kind of threw out the question saying, because we, you know, I've have been saying this for a couple of years in terms of like, you know, how a successful MLS season unravels for a team that gets to the MLS Cup or wins the MLS Cup. And there's yeah. not, and I was sort of saying to myself, I, you know, is Toronto going to buck that trend of, you know, peaking at the right time? And are they just going to be awesome from start to finish? And has that ever happened before? And I guess you could make the case that that 2011 LA Galaxy team might have been one because I think they only lost three games that season. However, the difference between that team and this team is, funny enough, is when I said that, the I think the final seat at the end of that season, LA's goals for and against were about the exact same as Toronto's were last weekend. If that makes sense. So so with this many games left, you know, I think I think LA finished the season with 48 goals and we at that point we're at 49. So well, I think, I, I think Barrett was their forward team, right? That's the funny thing. Like that team had a lot of good MLS veteran type players, but it was, you know, Donovan and Beckham, but it was before Robbie Keane. So it wasn't a spectacular team, you know, and I almost think that that was that LA team was more the shape of the league opposed to that team being a dominant team. But, you know, and then sort of taking that, and seeing where this, you know, where Toronto has sort of, like you said, where we've been steamrolling for the last little while. And, and if, if I kind of like bridge that, this part of the conversation into, uh, recent results, and especially if we kind of want to like, uh, open this podcast up a bit, at least with the Montreal game, you know, the, the interesting thing with this Montreal game and this Montreal result is, you know, you look back, you know, to the Chicago game and there was some similarities there because heading into that game, you know, there was a lot of talk about, even though Chicago been struggling, they were still had this incredible home record. Uh, you know, a lot of buzz around them. Toronto goes in there, pretty much handled, takes care of business, 3-1 result. Montreal Impact yeah. on this amazing streak. Piatti looking great. You know, kind of like, you know, Schweinsteiger has been this fulcrum in, uh, for uh, Chicago. And Piatti's now really shining in Montreal. And they're looking incredible. Toronto goes in there, handily wins 3-1. And that's just not something that... You know, I think when we looked at last season or in some parts of this season that this is what we were expecting at this point where these games away games, right, that are just like, you know, we know that in MLS, these are the these are the games that you're not supposed to win, Yeah, that we yeah. would have been happy with a draw. And they're not just doing that. They're handily going through these two, you know, conference rivals. Sure. And, and we, you know, and just to add to that, I think you'd put any opponent there because there's a Philadelphia game in the middle. Which was the same, almost more of a, of a, you know, was it was at home, but it was almost more of a dominating performance. And it's interesting because uh, I was on vacation the last two weeks, so I happened to 
listen to the Montreal game on radio on the Montreal broadcast. Um, it's interesting to get their perspective because certainly their perspective was is that Toronto was this sort of powerhouse um, in the league. Now, it was funny because they also thought that the league and the referees um, <laughs> were on Toronto's side, and that's why part of their success. But um, you we can know tell better. now that almost... Yeah, I know. <laughs> but you could tell almost every team, you know, not only team, but fan base is almost scared of Toronto now, right? Like, it's not only, you know, it took a while for us to believe this team was as good as they are. But now I think almost every fan of MLS knows how good we are, right? And so, yeah, it could be a year of, um, you know, we could be the, uh, again, the, I remember those LA Galaxy teams. I remember how resented <laughs> They were, and that could be us now. We could be the super team of MLS or so. Yeah, and if if we just maybe at the opening talk about the Montreal game, now I kind of, I mean, we kind of touched on it, so I don't know if I'm, if we're just going to be reiterating something, but you know, to go into Montreal, you know, a, a, a recollection I have is, if I'm not mistaken, was it was last year that there was the two 0 win at early in the season, and you and I had a discussion then saying, you know, this was a huge result in one of the best performances we've seen this team have. Yeah. And oddly enough, after like since then or in between, you know, before this game, you know, Toronto had struggled quite a bit at Saputo. Um, mm-hmm. You know, of course we think back to the playoff game, which we had a, you know, pretty great comeback to set ourselves up for the, the home leg. But, you know, Montreal looked incredible at the start of that game. And then of course, here we are. I've been saying that, you know, the Chicago game, the New York game and this game, the statement it sends or the, or the message it sends to these teams, especially when we, you know, the playoffs are now, we're starting to see that over the horizon. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think it can be overstated uh, that you know, we've gone into the your stadium and not just, you know, squeaked through and battled through for three points, but we pretty much just took them straight from you. Yeah. And I also think the um, individual performances showcase that, you know, I know that uh, Vasquez, um, certainly now is probably perceived as the top player um, MLS. You know, Javinko continuously surprises us with what he's capable of doing, and um, certainly that free kick he scored against Philadelphia was probably one of the nicest ones I've seen, Then he comes back and does it against in Montreal. And the two players that impressed me over this sort of recent stretch run is Azario and um, Delgado, especially Delgado. Man. Yeah. He has a huge amount of confidence now. Um, I, I, that sort of uh, the goal that um, led to Altidore's goal, where he did the, um, you know, the dummy and the back and forth. <laughs> you know, that was pretty nice. Yeah, and I guess maybe that's, I mean, that's part of like you're saying. The overall meaning has been, it hasn't just been these these key players. It has been really in the last little stretch, everything coming together. And you know what's fun, interesting is that we kind of saw this happening around this. Maybe it was a little bit later, but as we saw last season. You know, Vanny started really, really nailing down this a key starting eleven, um, the same yeah, people yeah. week in week out, and I think we're we're seeing that now. And it's almost like his yeah. substitutions were the same thing that you know we're seeing right now. Hasler's coming out to Beta Shore, and um, mm. you know, it's sort of that you're seeing that the bench is getting narrower, and the substitutions are kind of like the same ones every time, and he's really honing in on who his players are. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, I think last year, because this is almost the beginning of the 5-3-2, even though I think against Philadelphia, they didn't play a 5-3-2. I think what the 5-3-2 did 
is really showcase the ability of Justin Morrow. I think added to that now is you see the performances of Delgado, where it's not only confidence in the player, but it's putting him in a position on the pitch where he can have an impact in the game kind of thing. And, and to his credit, to Vanny's credit, to TFC's credit, what they've been able to do is they've been able to, for the most part, use the best players to their best ability. And, you know, that's very good management, and they should be congratulated for that. Yeah, and if we look at, I mean, we, I'm trying to think if we, if we have exactly touched on it. I mean, I kind of wanted to talk about, you know, some some bits of that game and, and sort of highlighting specific players and, you know, what's the logical way to go through it. You know, if we look at that starting lineup, maybe, and kind of like mention a few names off of that, and you mentioned him already is, um, you know, a new player to the team, which is the same thing that happened last year that, you know, made an impact. And it's been Hasler, who's kind of come yeah. in. He scored two goals. It's the same thing as any new guy that comes in. I mean, there was, a there was um, you know, pros and cons last summer when Cooper came in. Um, pros and cons even when Ricketts was in. And Hasler is a guy who, you know, doesn't look like... <laughs> the most athletic guy out there but he kind of trucks up and down that wing and we you have you can't you have to give him credit especially for these two goals that he scored for us yeah well that's where you know for me where Hassler stands out is his awareness um on the pitch and you can kind of get an impression that this is a guy who's been playing soccer for you know most of his life and it's interesting because in comparison to Edwards who was kind of playing that role earlier in the season um, despite Edwards' success, there were a few opportunities where if he, you know, made a run or made himself open, you know, especially on the offense, um, he could have even been more successful. And Hassler has really been able to find those opportunities. Like you see balls um, that are, you know, sort of knocked around in the 18. He's able to get a loose ball at set plays. You know, I think the goal um, against Philadelphia was sort of on a on a throw in or a corner. It was a corner. He headed the ball in. Okay, it was a corner. That awareness, like his awareness of the game, is really strong. And I even saw that um, going back to probably the last disappointing game Toronto had, which was that one-one uh, draw in DC. And the interesting thing about that game was because Toronto was a man up, um, they had large amount of possession, so you could really see how the team was trying to set up to score a goal and where each player ran uh, with the ball and without the ball. And again, you know, in terms of being able to, you know, be in the right place in that wingback position, either on, um, you know, being an extra attacker or even running back to, you know, help the defense, um, you know, I think Hessler's done very well in that position. It will be interesting. Like, I don't think he's as defensively minded as Bershaw. So I think if when Bershaw is completely healthy, he'll probably be starting right back. But it's interesting, and and you know it's just interesting that now um, these sort of technical players, uh, you know Vasquez is another example of that, are able to excel in the MLS because you know as a long-time MLS fan, we saw these guys, you know, be very frustrated in the past, make runs and not get the ball or um, be stranded with the ball. To me, you know, it's still a slower game than, say, the EPL or, or a league in Europe. But you can see the um, passing, um, I don't know what you call it, matrix or triangles are as strong as MLS as any league now, which is very impressive. And maybe that's just because we watch Toronto. I'm sure if we're watching, uh, you know, Colorado-San Jose game, it might not be as impressive. But if you're watching Toronto, you know, I'm very impressed with how the team has played 
not only in scoring goals, but, you know, how they distribute the ball and how they keep possession. Yeah, you know, I think just to tie in, uh, you know, one topic that we sort of talked about offline um, and, and just to add into that, you know, I would probably have said, you know, maybe three, four years ago, a guy like Vasquez, I think we would probably all had doubts that he could he could execute in this league. Yeah, no, no, it's interesting because then you'll have a better impression of this because you watch Canada as well. Um, you know, I know Vasquez has that final ball that probably Julian Guzman didn't have. But that's who reminds me kind of how he sort of, his position, where he's supposed to be and how he runs both that kind of, um, you know, I had a defensive midfielder and thing like that. And it's now we can see where Vasquez is supposed to play. And, uh, you know, I think the fans of Toronto FC sees how he, his role. And I don't think, but I don't think we really got to see the Guzman in that similar position because he didn't have, he wasn't instrumental in, in the play because the other players didn't know how to run off the ball with him and be involved with him. So, you know, and again, I think that might just be a, you, you see that even in Montreal with Piet. So I think that might be an improvement in the league and how they play as much as just Toronto FC. Yeah. And that's, and that's kind of what I wanted to try to tie in was that, you know, Piet coming in and back to Montreal who had spent the last few years, oddly enough, there's your coincidence uh, you know, Piet was at Deportivo um, on their second team, which was where De Guzman sort of really made his splash as a player. And then he goes off and plays in the third division and comes back to MLS and seems to have fit right in, um, yeah. which has made makes me it makes me happy because I think it casts doubt into people's perceptions of the level of play required to get in the league, if that makes sense. Especially if you're a young, a young player who is, is somewhat of a prospect or has that potential, you know, I think sometimes we look at what divisions players are falling in and, and immediately assume they're not good enough. When often that's yeah. not the case. Often there, there is politics involved. Often it's just they're just getting, to, they're just going wherever they can get minutes. Um, it, it isn't necessarily reflective of what their true potential is. And I think Piet. Um, is is a good example of that, and I, and we, I know we've only seen I think it's four games he's played, but I think you know mm-hmm. he came out and looked great from the start, and he, I thought he looked maybe he could untuck his shirt, but other than that, I, I thought I thought he looked pretty good for them, um, and looked like you know you wouldn't have you would have never if you just never said it, I think you he would just like any old uh, MLS caliber player for sure. Yeah, well, also I think it's you know I think there's a sort of misrepresentation of soccer in general in North America because we do watch a lot of the English game and our our own style of how we teach the game. But, you know, realistically, it's much important, you know, in terms of how you play soccer, is how you play between the two 18-yard lines as much as you do play within those 18-yard lines. And if you watch lower league soccer in Italy or lower league soccer in Spain, it's, you know, for unless you're really soccer, you know, really into soccer, it can be kind of boring, but that's what they play, right? You know, they take 20, 30 passes to get from one end of the field to the other end of the field. These players get thousands and thousands of touches playing in this style. And, you know, that's what Piet has sort of experienced playing even in the lower leagues in Spain, right? You, you almost ask yourself, you know, is this a training exercise that you would want to see future MLS players or future even Canadian national team players experience because it's exciting, certainly more exciting, you know, kicking the ball long or trying to go for the through ball. 
but realistically it's not it's almost it's you know it's not as effective as um keeping possession waiting for your opportunities and then taking advantage that way see that was vasquez right like Honestly, if you had 11 Vasquez on the pitch, you would dominate MLS ice just because he's so comfortable with the ball, right? Like, he's never rushed. He's never feels out of place. And that's always been sort of kind of missing when you watch MLS, right? It's that kind of, it's they're fine when they're in control, but as soon as they lose control, it becomes, you know, wacky racist kind of thing. And the, the only thing I wanted to throw in with Piet is... I'd add in a little bit of credit to him because, I mean, at a really young age, to, to sort of uh, emphasize what potential he did have at such a young age was that, I mean, I think he was 18 or 19 um, when he was on, uh, f- you know, the second team at Fortuna Dusseldorf. And at the end of his season, he was starting to get senior team minutes in the second Bundesliga, um, sure. which was is which is quite impressive for a Canadian overseas. And at that age to be starting to get into the senior team in the second division of Germany. Um, that's the, that was the potential that was hovering around him, I think, at 18 or 19 years of age. Um, yeah, yeah. If I can, and then if I can bridge over to, to one other thing, you know, in terms of another player that I wanted to talk about uh, for Toronto FC and, and with this result and what we've seen for the last few results and, and for most of this summer, I mean, you can't uh, ignore the fact that Part of Toronto's success has been quite a few clean sheets uh, over the over the last few months, and especially on Wednesday we got one. You know what we saw the Philadelphia game midweek. You know he comes out with a with a clean sheet with what arguably should have been the save of the week if it's not the save of the week. And against Montreal, you know that this game was billed as the biggest game of his career. I guess because of obviously he wasn't he wasn't a part of that through last season. Um, and I kind of wanted to just touch on that because Aaron, I know that. On this podcast, I think it was a few pods ago where I started floating the idea out there is, are we looking at probably the best keeper we've had since, you know, Stefan Fry in 2009, 2010? And then also, you know, your background, obviously knowing who Bono was and, you know, by proxy, me finding out who Bono was and sort of what his his path has been to getting to this point of his career with Toronto. Yeah, I think he's, um, you know, it's funny because I have in my fantasy team, so... Allowing goals in the 90th minute hurts me, but <laughs> um, but no, I've, I've been impressed with you know we saw it's funny because we saw Bob's first ever game with TFC two where he basically had to hold the fort and we thought he was a bit wild and 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 a little too active and that sometimes you still see that a bit in the MLS he almost got his head knocked off by uh, Adoro in that Montreal game running out for a ball. But, you know, I think that's the modern keeper. And to me, I think part of Bono's play has been the overall confidence of the team. I think that, you know, I think the same where you see the change in Delgado playing is almost the same where you see with Bono. And when the team is performing well, I think uh, Bono's up to the task. And, yeah, I think, you know, in terms of talent and ability, I do think he's a, a top keeper. And I do think he's a guy who willing to develop and willing to learn and, um, you know, not cocky as some keepers in the past and, and knows that key save is good, but, you know, keeping your team in the game is probably more important, right? Yeah, and I, th- and I think that's, for me, you know, what the team has missed for a long time where it's like, yeah, we've had, you know, we've had keepers who have made big saves, but I, I think Bono has had some moments, again, like I said, in Philadelphia, I mean, that was a clutch save that he made to sort of just mm-hmm. keep them, just keep them out of the game. 
um, just to put yeah. that bar far enough so that it went off the woodwork. Um, and we saw some saves against Montreal as well. I'm thinking of a free kick, mm-hmm. you know, that was low and he just, he just parried it wide and just, you know, again, I, I, for me, I haven't seen, I, th- you know, Milos Kosic had some moments, a few other keepers here and there, but no one with real longevity in it. It really has been for me since Fry when I remember, you know, a keeper really sort of like making a stand on her feet, uh, and get excited for his saves. The other thing I wanted to talk about too, Aaron, is, and is this a boring topic? Maybe we will just, we'll just touch on it, but it's, I mean, I don't know how we, do we get bored of talking about Jovinko? It's, it's crazy how it's just like, it kind of gums and goes, but like overall, I mean, you still, you still can't stop bringing it up. And it's interesting because you, the podcast we've been on, obviously at the start of the year, you know, we did that podcast for that New England game where he, you know, we might have said that was probably one of the worst games. He's had on Toronto FC and one of the worst games Toronto he's had all season. Um, you know, when there was a discussion about him through there and, you know, you look at the last month or two months, you look at these last few games and now you're looking at his, his stats. And if we're talking, if that, remember in that podcast, we're saying, you know, there's expectations around him. He's almost on track to surpassing his goal total um, or his goal, like the most goals he's scored in a season uh, if he stays mm-hmm. hot like this. So, I'm just curious about if, if you have any thoughts on that. If like, I mean, we've talked about his free kicks, which has been, you know, another thing that people have sort of lamented over the last two years is that, oh, he's maybe it's Vasquez's turn to take a free kick and maybe he should hand it over to him. And I think it's like, wow, way to like in the sell a goal celebration he did as well. Probably the most classic yeah. one we've seen. I mean, I I still kind of like, you know, I don't want to be a Jovinko homer, but I mean, I don't see how it's almost you can it can be any other way. Well, funny, no, sorry, funny side story was, is I was talking to someone pretty high up in football who was, um, who works in English football, and we were talking about Cortino's replacements at Liverpool. <laughs> and the name I brought, because, you know, they know that I do this sort of scouting and I find players from the top leagues in Europe who have similar statistics and, and who can perform, you know, in a similar vein. And outside of a couple of guys in China who a team like Liverpool could go after, um, you know, I would put Javinko on top of that list because there's things in Javinko's games that are literally unstoppable, including those free kicks from the past couple of games, right? So even though you might be able to hold him down or, you know, as we saw, you know, in, in his defense, we saw teams specializing on him defensively We've seen, um, you know, guys put three, four guys on him, so he might not have the same amount of influence in the game. But, you know, how many players in the world are capable of scoring those free kicks that he scored against Philadelphia and even Montreal? I think the at the end of the day, the goals and the assists are just a reflection of his performance on the pitch. I will say that one of the players that's very much impressed me this past month has been Eltador. And when you have Eltador and... Dravenko going at full speed, there's no team in MLS that can stop him, right? So I'm almost <laughs> I'm almost waiting for, you know, hopefully this team's together next year because I'm almost waiting for the CONCACAF Champions League because I like to even see a Mexican team try to hold both of them down because I literally think, you know, in terms of the opposition Toronto is going to play, I don't think any team can manage both of those uh, threats. Yeah, you know what? I'm glad you mentioned Altidore because, you know, the only last thing I wanted to mentioned sort of about the game you know was was actually funny how both their goals kind of came 
across the face of, of goal, kind of yeah. going the same direction and finishing in sort of a similar way, which is, you know, kind of, kind of funny that, uh, you know, well, I mean, Josie Altidore was a little bit more deeper in, um, and he knocks it, you know, wide of the goal. And then again, to talk about Jovinko and how it was like, I, another conversation I remember when he first signed was with Julian Zadorozny because he'd, he'd followed, he follows Syria and he knows Jovinko mm-hmm. quite well. And his sort of, you know, analysis or, or punditry on Jovinko was, you know, he's a guy you have to let him play the whole game. To get the most out of him, you know, he's got to play full 90 minutes. And I feel like we've seen that this season. Like that's sort of been confirmed where it's like, hey, um, again, it was the New England home game, if I'm not mistaken, where he scored an out of time. And then in this game against Montreal, I mean, talk about just ripping the heart out of the <laughs> yeah, impact yeah. in their supporters. I mean, yeah. I was if I was watching at the football factory and everyone in the place was, you know, they were cursing and swearing. And then like a second later, I'm out of my chair being like, oh my God. And not just the fact that he scored, but I mean, this, the style and class to take such, yeah. it was such yeah. a wide cross and just hammer it right through. Well, we, Bush we, had know no chance. we know that when, sorry to interrupt, but we know that when Javinko first came into the league, that he was a guy who's going to play 90 minutes and he knew that, you know, for lack of a better term, that's when you get your garbage goals or that's when you get, you know, added opportunities. And it's interesting because I think Piatti does the same thing with Montreal. But, um, you know, a lot of times in soccer and a lot of times historically in the MLS, if you're up a couple of goals, that's when you kind of, you don't look for those third. You don't look for the fourth. You don't look for the fifth. You're right. You just kind of try not to get injured, try not to exhaust yourself and get out there with the win. And I think that attitude is reflecting on the rest of the team because we've certainly seen with subs like Ricketts coming in and Edwards and guys like that, Hamilton, you know, everybody wants to know that, you know, everyone feels like they can score and um, make an impact. And again, I think that this is important when we do come to the playoffs because, you know, there might be a situation where we need the essential goal or we don't want, you know, we don't want the game in the hands of the referee. We don't want the games, you know, like the game with Seattle going to penalty kicks. Um, you know, we just want to, you know, get out there with the cleanest victory as possible. So, you know, to have that drive, I think is very important for the team going forward. I'm trying to think if I, if this is the last point, if I want to kind of tie this into the game or I want to do a broader one, because the, the two things I wanted to, to go over were a, uh, the travel the support. And I, I, were you the one, yeah. were, were we yeah. talking about that? How it's like, finally, the support aligns with results. Which has almost well, never. Well, my point, my point was is is that you know because of how MLS is set up, you know, especially back in the day, is arguably you could say MLS had super clubs in the past. You could say the LA team, which we talked about earlier. You could potentially say New York Red Bulls or the New York Metro Stars, but you never had a team like you never had a super team, and you could argue Seattle because of their home crowd. You never really had a super team in the MLS. And I would argue, you know, if you look at, you know, not only that example in the game in Montreal, but also the game in Chicago, not only dominating on the pitch, but, you know, being influential in the game. And, and, you know, I get this experience when you watch, let's say you watch a Manchester United game in the EPL, if they're in Bournemouth or, you know, uh, Crystal Palace or something like that, you can see that, you know, number one, the crowd, you know, the supporter crowd goes and supports them, but they're almost a show. 
right? You know, it's and I imagine Montreal is a bit different because of the rivalry. But I think the experience in Chicago was all these Chicago fans are standing there and they're not only dumbstruck or wowed by what Toronto can do on the pitch, but also this fan base that they bring in to the game. And and to be honest with you, I don't, you know, I, we, we do hear a lot of um, talk about porters in the MLS and all this kind of stuff, but there really is very little away support. You know, you know, you certainly have that experience at BMO Field outside of maybe Montreal. You might have like, you know, a group of 10 guys sitting in, you know, that section. But certainly both in the Montreal game, now part of this is to do with the result, but both in the Montreal game and in the Chicago game, the, you know, even on the audio from the, the TV, the Toronto fans were much louder than the home crowd. So, yeah, and, and the thing is, I'm thinking too, is like maybe trying to tie that, like we're talking about, like you're talking about Super Club, um, how the support is all merging together or coming together. Uh, aligned with these results, you know, not to, you know, trying to still keep this positive. But, uh, you know, now I think pretty strong expectations are being uh, created around this team and how the season's going. You know, I, I guess I kind of wanted to broach maybe, you know, what that means if the expectations aren't met. Um, you know, do we have concerns for that? I think, you know, you mentioned uh, regardless of not regardless, but you know, as along with this season, you know, we do have the Champions League ahead of us, which I, for myself, I'm now quite excited about that. And you know, Simon, a couple of weeks back, you know, asked the question, you know, what teams, you know, actually scare you uh, as we as we yeah. come closer to the playoffs. Um, and, and then, of course, you know, do we have any issues, you know, or any thoughts about, you know, this this does look like I said a season where Toronto has just been on a constant. They've hit the ascent and they've never come down. Do we, do we, do, are we concerned about any dips, any injuries, et cetera, et cetera? You know, what are our thoughts heading yeah, into well, this Yeah, well, well, again, I think, I think when you talk Toronto C over the past couple of years, it's amazing, you know, just the collective minutes that the three DPs and the key players um, on Toronto C's have been able to play. But as we've seen with this Hassler move, and as you said, guys like Cooper and players like that, um, Giroux and guys like that still on the bench, we do have, you know, we do have a decent amount of depth. In terms of teams that scare me, Montreal would have been one of them, especially if we didn't come out with a victory in Montreal. Um, that's kind of waned a bit after this week's game. Um, the one team that kind of scares me still is Columbus because we didn't have the great game in Columbus earlier in the season. And because they have a couple of guys who, you know, sort of game breakers and can change the game. And in Seattle, you know, because it's, you know, MLS is very East versus West, I think the moves that Seattle made this season and the players that they currently have are very strong. And I think, you know, realistically, um, odds on favored, you'll get a Toronto-Seattle rematch. And I think that game could be very exciting. Um, I would still put Toronto's favorite, especially because the game will most likely be in Toronto. But in terms of teams that scare me, those would be the ones that would... I would just throw out there, if it was a Toronto-Seattle final again, I don't know how I'd be able to handle it. <laughs> okay. Well, the no, the anxiety. Seattle's like, Seattle, like Seattle signed um, um, a guy named Victor Rodriguez, who is a Vasquez-type, very attacking. And then they also signed this guy, Leerdum, who was a uh, Dutch fullback defensive midfielder, who, when I was dealing with Celtic in Scotland, was a player who I was trying to get them to sign, and a player who I like very much like. So, you know, they're another team who makes very smart decisions on the field and away from the field in terms of recruiting. And, yeah, it's, you know, like 
I, I, you know, if I was going to predict, uh, predict the league for the rest of the season, I do see both Toronto and Seattle pulling away. It might be the first year where you do have these super teams in MLS where it isn't, you know, the short part shield isn't this sort of, this sort of bad luck charm. And, you know, you have two teams steamrolled through the playoffs as well to set up this sort of grand final. Yeah, and it's, that's definitely the way. I mean, I'm looking at the table now. I mean, Toronto is just is, is really in, in cruise control. Um, what do we have, 27 games. So that's another, I think, seven on the docket. And if I kind of yeah. use that as sort of the outro for this game, you know, we, where we're looking ahead at, you know, we know that um, you know, Canada has their game coming up this weekend against Jamaica, which is kind of interesting in itself. Um, but then after that, you know, we're hosting San Jose away to LA and then another Montreal game in September. And then probably the only in that, in that glut, the game that I'm sort of circling is going to be, we're playing away to new England again. And then sort of yeah. to see that's, that would be a nice coming full circle from the start of the year. And if, if you're around for that, that would be interesting too, to see how Toronto plays against new England uh, the second time. Yeah, that's the, that would be the only remaining revenge game, I guess, if if you want to say that. But but that's just to, you know, just to say where Toronto is. That's the other thing is if you look at the schedule, you know, you can't see Toronto taking, not necessarily Toronto taking those games lightly, but Toronto struggling in those games, right? Um, you know, San Jose traditionally is one, or, you know, now, or it's always been one of the weaker teams in the league. And, uh, you know, and again, I think the the irony is I think the Montreal rivalry, especially with both games in Toronto, um, you know, I think they'll be a sort of celebration, almost like, you know, how much can we, you know, how much can we take advantage of this club kind of thing? Like, again, I don't see, usually you can kind of predict lulls in the season or things are happening that might cause an issue. But like, you know, for example, earlier in the year when we we, we played in Seattle, but the way the schedule's playing out, um, as I said, unless there is a complete surprise upset in the playoffs that we have to play, um, I think, you know, I think it's very good for Toronto to going forward. Yeah, and I think that's maybe my last my last comment or, or, or point was that, you know, that's we're getting, you know, again, we're getting to this point in the year. We're starting to see the playoffs coming up and where we have high hopes and high expectations. And I think this season for me, I mean, this is Obviously, this has been the best season we've ever witnessed of this club. And I was really intrigued at the start of the year to see, you know, would they have some kind of hangover from the from the MLS Cup? How motivated would they be? How determined would they be? You know, would they have come out like like thinking, oh, you know, like last year, we kind of got it together closer to the end of the year and we made it to the finals so we can do that this year. But I got to say, I mean, it's just been incredible that almost from the get go, that it's been, you know, and you look at the leaders on the field too. I think that's what's been most impressive where, you know, you, you put it around your DPs in terms of Josie and Michael Bradley and, and uh, Jovinko, but the new guys that have come in, especially like Vasquez and Mavinga, I mean, they've slotted in mm-hmm. and played with the same kind of determination, you know, I, like in the quotes, like eye on the prize. Like they clearly seem to understand that it's like, he says, this is the season, but it's like, we're all, we're still working towards a bigger goal at the end of this. And, you know, I'm just glad at this point, you know, we, we've had years where this is the part of the year where, you know, we're, we're counting down games where we're going to get eliminated. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or we're, we're mathematically now, now still we're, in now, it. Now we're counting out games the when we're going to win the supporters. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. crazy. And I think that's a discussion that a lot of people are having, um, you know, around this team sort of saying like, wow, like 
this is what this is the conversation that we're having about this team. It's crazy. Um, yeah, I'll even go. I'll even go farther than that. I think the Superior Shield's wrapped up. Um, you know, not to wear some wood to knock on, but <laughs> um, you know, just the way. Like again, just the way. Because I say that because I do watch a lot of MLS, including watching the other teams in the league. Teams like Chicago, teams like NYCFC, fall where you expect the MLS teams to fall. Right? You know, they can't um, put two or three, four or five good performances together. And in Toronto's case, you know, again, unless it was a complete and other, I can't even, I can't even, you know, uh, imagine something happening that, that would put us off course. Yeah, no. I, and again, you know, I, I know you've said this earlier in the year when it was less of of uh, sureness, but you know, I think Toronto should go for the support shield. I think Toronto should go for the all time best record in, in the in the league. You know, and one of those things was is those teams did do that. You know. Um, Los Angeles did play with such confidence during those years where, you know, they did go on and, and win the championship and, and make the championship and things like that. So I think, you know, when you're playing with that much confidence, you should expect to go out every day knowing that you can win and, and feeling confident you can do it. Well, I think that's a, that's a good point, Aaron. And I think it's a good spot to end this. Um, there's not too much, like I said, this was a, a little bit of a different format. It was more broad strokes in terms of the team where we're sitting and we're heading into like sort of that pivotal point of the season. Like we said before, traditionally, uh, after this break is probably when you want to see a team start heating up. But I think it's still, uh, will be interesting to see how Toronto manages through the month of September and as they get ready for October and obviously into those playoffs. People know they can reach you, Aaron, at ENB Sports. Yep. Or at Prospect Eleven on Twitter. I don't know if there's yep. anything you got you might want to mention. Uh, no, um, uh, League One Ontario is kind of closing down, and uh, NCAA soccer in the states is starting up. And there's uh, quite a few interesting Canadians still playing college soccer um, in the states. So I might have a few things uh, regarding that in the near future. Great. Okay, and people know they can get me at Clark RNO or you can tweet at Red Nation Online. Info or have your say at rednationonline.ca. You know, we get lately we've been getting some pretty steady stream of emails coming in that I am, I've been getting back to people on that uh, as soon as I can. So by all means, uh, fire that in and share your opinion. I'll go back and forth with you. Um, we'll leave it at that. The next home game, if I saw that correctly, is the 9th of september against san jose so i'm pretty sure steve said he's going to be there for that game i will be too and um we'll leave it at that um thanks a lot guys for listening canada's playing this weekend as well september 2nd so if you're in the city of toronto you want to get down to the cne and see canada play in atiba i think that's worth it but we'll be back for the san jose game and uh we'll say thanks a lot guys for listening we'll catch you next time want you to get involved reach out to us on twitter at red nation online or by email at info or have your say at rednationonline.ca get in touch with us let us know how you thought the team did agree disagree it doesn't matter also check out our other podcasts on red nation online from the black hole ours is the fury and our interview series thanks for listening and we'll catch you guys next time